John 14, 25. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, and the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Jesus said a lot in John 14, but I want to just focus on this phrase that the Holy Ghost will teach you. And I'd like for us to enroll tonight in the school of the Spirit. God bless you. Please be seated. When you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, we use Holy Ghost and Holy Spirit interchangeably. For a while, it was cool to say Holy Spirit, but all the non-apostolics started saying Holy Ghost. So I guess it's cool to say Holy Ghost again. Spirit of Jesus Christ that fills the life of a believer. When you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, a teacher moved into your life to teach you and to remind you. Now, Jesus Christ in the days of his flesh was a consummate teacher. The words he spoke were spirit and they were life. He taught as one having authority and not as the theologians, the scribes, who had to quote another source, but Jesus, who did not hold an office, did not graduate from their rabbinical schools, they noted at the end of the Sermon on the Mount that he taught as one having authority and not as the scribes. His students wondered where he learned such wonderful words, having never studied. He didn't go to seminary, but how did he know all this? In verse 25 of John 14, Jesus said, these things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. I am still here in the flesh, and I am still your teacher. In the days of his flesh, Jesus was, I said, the consummate teacher. He was the teacher. He confirmed in his teaching that the Old Testament was indeed the word of God. The foundation for preaching in the New Testament was the Old Testament. So Jesus proved that the Old Testament was the word of God. He used it widely, which we'll get into just a little bit. Um, and as kind of an intentional sidebar, I want to talk about Jesus' teaching from the Old Testament. The Gospels record Jesus quoting from 14 different Old Testament books. It's been estimated that about a tenth of the teachings of Jesus recorded in the Gospels was taken from the Old Testament. About 180 of the 1,800 verses uh, that are his discourses were from the Old Testament. He confirmed that the Old Testament characters were indeed real people. They weren't just made-up people. He confirmed that Old Testament events were factual events. He quoted from every book of the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He quoted from uh, at least... Uh, eight of the prophets, and he quoted from the Psalms at least 16 times. He addressed or referenced all three divisions of the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. In other words, Jesus Christ in his teaching was not just giving practical teaching, but he was relying and pulling from the word of God. When he was tempted by the devil, uh, he had all power in heaven and on earth, 
but he quoted scripture to the devil. He said, it is written. It's good to know what is written in the word of God. God cannot bring to your remembrance what you have not put there to start with. Sometimes you wonder if it's there, but then God in a moment can remind you of what you thought you had forgotten. Jesus referred to the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. He confirmed that the Old Testament references to the Messiah refer to him. In John 5, 39, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Now Jesus then opened the understanding of his disciples so they could understand the scriptures, specifically related to the mission of the Messiah. When Brother John Turner was talking to us about God knowing how to make an entrance, he spoke of how Jesus came as a lamb and not the lion in his first coming. And many missed him because they saw him coming as a conquering king, not as a suffering savior. In Luke 24, Jesus opened the understanding of the disciples so that they could understand the scriptures. Now, the highest revealed form of the will of God is the written word of God. The Apostle Peter said we have a, a more sure word of prophecy. I thank God for the gifts of the Spirit. We believe in them, and we believe that they operate in the church in believers today. I thank the Lord that it's not just tongues and interpretation, but the nine gifts of the Spirit operate, and we believe in that. God can speak through dreams and visions, through impressions of the Holy Ghost. But however we think God speaks, we always, the Bible said, you can you know, speak one by one, but let the other judge. We don't judge that person, but we hold every prophecy, we hold every gift, we hold every dream, every vision, every impression, we hold it up to the word of God to make sure that it matches what is in this book. That's why we should not be ignorant of the Bible. We should be Bible students, not because we are preachers, but because we are believers. Amen. Now, the Bible is the God-breathed word of God. It doesn't just contain the word of God. It's interesting how tricky people are when they talk about the Bible. They might say the Bible contains the word of God, which is implying or inferring that the word of God is in there, but it's not all the word of God. We believe in verbal plenary inspiration that the very words and original languages were God-breathed by the Lord. Amen. Now, there are a lot of things that the disciples did not comprehend. Jesus said they were dull of hearing. Uh, he sometimes chided them or rebuked them because they didn't get it when he felt like they should have gotten it. So he told them that when the Holy Ghost comes, when you receive the Holy Ghost, he's going to teach you all things. He's going to bring things to your remembrance. It's the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, and he's the teacher. So I, I want to enroll in the school of the Spirit. I want to be a, a man, a person of the Word of God, but I also want that Word to be quickened by the Spirit of God. Amen? The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, I want to go through John 14 just a little bit. We're going to be in the Bible tonight. Isn't that shocking? John 14 is a continuation 
of what is known as the farewell discourse that began in John 13, 31, right after Judas Iscariot left the upper room to go seek to betray Jesus Christ. If you look back at the beginning of chapter 13 of John, the disciples are feeling a little confusion and frustration. And in John 13, they are kind of arguing with one another about who would be the greatest. Talk about missing the boat, missing the point. That's what's on their mind. They're in Jerusalem, and Jesus is clearly speaking about his imminent death. It's expedient that I must go away. And the disciples are thinking about thrones and positions, and who's going to be on his right hand, who's going to be on his left hand. And there's some heaviness from what they're hearing from Jesus, some doubt, confusion, concern. As much as he spoke about his demise, his death, they still didn't get it. Their hearts are troubled. He tells them in John 14, let not your hearts be troubled. He's trying to pull them out of that. So at the end of John chapter 13 and in John chapter 14, Jesus provides answers to some spoken and unspoken questions that the disciples have. The primary theme of John 14 is the departure and then the return of Jesus Christ. I'll go away, I'll come again. It's interesting in this discourse that this theme is kind of carried along by some questions that the disciples are asking. In John 13, 26, the apostle Peter asked to the Lord, where are you going? In John 14, verse 5, Thomas asks, how can we know the way? In John 14, 8, Philip asks, show us the Father. In John 14, 22, Judas, not Judas Iscariot, asks, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? The questions that are raised by the disciples are literary devices that kind of push this theme along and uh, bring this to its culmination, the point that Jesus is trying to make. Now, he tells them, John 14, 1, not, let not your heart be troubled. And by the way, I think you know, I do not show all the verses on the screen because it's a lot of verses. Uh, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He speaks about going away and preparing a place for them. And he said, where I go, you know, and the way you know. And that's when, of course, they did not think they knew. In John 16, 7, in this discourse still, he said, nevertheless, I tell you, it is expedient that I go away. If I do not go away, the comforter will not come to you. But if I depart, I'll send him to you. They're not understanding, even at this point, in the last few days of his earthly ministry, what is going on. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. That's what he says in John 14, 18. Now, the Holy Ghost is not a substitute for Jesus. It's not a separate entity from Jesus. The Holy Ghost is Christ in you. John 14, 17. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. We understand that there is one God and one mediator between God and man the man, Christ Jesus. We understand that God was in Christ 
reconciling the world to himself. We understand that all the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in him bodily. And so Jesus said, I'm going away, but I'm going to send my spirit back. I wonder if Jesus could say, the works that I do shall you do, and greater works than these shall you do, because I go to the Father. I'm going away. I'm going to send back my spirit. Instead of being present in one body, I'm going to be present in everybody that is filled with the spirit. And wherever you go, you'll testify of me. You'll be my witnesses, and the Holy Ghost will back you up. Amen. They went everywhere. The Lord working with them, right? Colossians 1.27, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We can say that we are in Christ and Christ is in us. We can say it both ways. Amen. You're baptized into Jesus Christ. Now, in the book of John, there are lots of references to the Holy Ghost. John speaks of the Spirit often. I'm just going to kind of peruse them, run through them quickly. In John 1.33, John the Baptist speaks of Jesus as being the baptizer in the Holy Ghost. In John 3, John, Jesus talking to Nicodemus talks about being born again of water and of the Spirit. In John 3 and 8, he speaks to Nicodemus about the wind that the wind blows where it wants to. You hear the sound thereof. You don't know where it's coming from or where it's going. But so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. In John 4 and 10, he tells the woman of Samaria that is at the well at the city of Sychar uh, that the water, I'm going to give you living water. She liked that idea, especially in that moment, because Jesus said, you won't ever have to come draw here again. It's going to be in you. And she still didn't get that, by the way. In John 7, 37, in that great day of the feast, Jesus said, He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly or innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. In John 14, 16, this chapter we're in tonight, Jesus spoke about the comforter that he will abide with you forever. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. John 14, 26 he speaks of the comforter, the Holy Ghost, that is the teacher that will remind you. And he, this word comforter, some other translations, New King James, New Living Translation, may say the helper. In the Greek, it is paraclete or paracletus. I'm not a Greek scholar, but it is the one who comes alongside. It is the advocate. It is the helper. Jesus said, I will not leave you. Some say orphans. I will not leave you alone, but I will come to you. Amen. I'm glad that when I receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, I have Christ in me, but I have Christ with me wherever I go. He is my advocate. He is the helper, helper, and he also is a comforter in the way we use that word. I'll teach you all things. I'll bring all things to your remembrance. In John 15, he said that the Spirit will testify of me. In John 16, 7, he speaks again about a comforter that he will send to us. In John 16, 12 through 14, he said, when the Holy Ghost comes, it's going to guide you. Now, this is another nuance of the work of the Spirit. Have you ever needed to make a good decision? The Holy Ghost will guide you. Amen. 
into all truth. And John 16, 13 said, and he will show you things to come. That's an intriguing phrase. That he will reveal to you things about the future. He will glorify me and he will show it unto you. In John 20, the last reference that I'm going to speak of in John about the Holy Ghost. For now, Jesus breathed on his disciples and he told them to receive the Holy Ghost. John is full of references to the Holy Ghost. It is a verse of the Spirit. But in John 14, 26, he speaks about the specific role of the Holy Ghost as a teacher and a reminder. Good teachers are good reminders, right? John 14, 26. Again, we've seen it before tonight. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. He is a teacher. He is a reminder. I want to pause right here for just a moment to say that God is omnipotent. I'm not in my notes right now, but just kind of thinking about this between sinking my notes and walking to this pulpit. God knows everything. He's omniscient, all-knowing. And when God gives a person a word of knowledge, he gives you a piece of knowledge. Speaking of the gifts of the Spirit, the Bible said we know in part and we prophesy in part and we see through a glass darkly. We don't know everything. Amen. But when we need to know something, God who knows everything can reveal it to us. Whether it is a word of wisdom to solve a predicament that we don't know the answer to or it is a piece of information this solves a puzzle in dealing with the situation or a person, God can teach you what you need to know in that moment. He knows all things, and he can bring all things to your remembrance. Now, my theme tonight is the school of the Spirit. And I already mentioned that we need to be people of the Word. But we don't have to be this or that people. We are this and that people. We're people of the Word and people of the Spirit. The Bible said that the word of God is the sword of the spirit. So if I have a sword, that would be like an inanimate object. But it's not. It's the word of God is quick and powerful, right? Sharper than any two-edged sword. But the word of God is the sword of the spirit. It is the spirit that guides you how to use the sword, the word. I believe that when I pray that God guides me, what I should teach on, what I should speak. But even beyond whatever theme I have or whatever notes I have, I have learned that God sometimes puts something in my mind or my mouth or uses something that is preached or taught to be a very direct or specific word for somebody in the congregation or watching online. They've been needing that word. They've been talking about a dilemma. And in that moment, the power of the Holy Ghost works in us. And he is a, he is a teacher. Amen. So I, I want to be sensitive to the voice of God. I want to be tuned into the voice of God. Because I believe I have an edge. The edge of the spirit that people who are not spirit filled don't have. That edge is in every 
area of life. Not just when you're in church. Not just when you're doing ministry. And by the way, thanks to everyone who serves in ministry at Atlanta West. When I came in tonight, everybody worked so hard around here to make sure when it's church time that everything is ready for us to have church. Amen. But this, this spirit works in every way in your life. Amen. And give you insight into relationships. Give you insight into dilemmas at work that you cannot solve. A conundrum that you've just come to a dead end, a perplexity. But the Holy Ghost is a teacher. And he can take the word of God that does not change. It is fixed. This is called the canon of scripture. 66 books. Doesn't change. You don't add to it. You don't take away from it. And you don't need to because it is complete in itself. But God can take this word and the Holy Ghost can quicken a verse of scripture to your mind. He can give you a piece of information that you could not know any other way that you need to know. And some examples came to my mind, but I decided just to pass them on by. When in ministry, the Lord is just out of nowhere spoken to me about something. And, and uh, that person that I was very surprised that I knew that. I was surprised that I knew that. I didn't know that. But the Holy Ghost did. He will teach you all things. Now, I've already mentioned this, but the Holy Ghost is not a separate spirit with a unique identity. It is God's spirit. And when we talk about the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, we are talking about the work of Almighty God, Jesus Christ, in us. Now, the writers of the Old Testament, the Bible says, wrote as they were moved on by the Holy Ghost, holy men of God wrote as they were moved on by the Holy Ghost. The writers of the New Testament also wrote as they were moved on by the Holy Ghost, equally inspired, perfect recall of the words of Jesus to be able to pen scripture that is for our learning, the Bible says. Not all of the apostles wrote scripture, but, but some did, amen. So I wanna talk about how the Spirit teaches in our lives, some several examples of how the Holy Ghost teaches. 2 Corinthians 3, 5, and 6. There'll be a couple lengthy passages. You may want to open your Bible, or you can watch the screens as things are there. Paul's writing about his ministry, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. I can tell you that this is true all the time, that anything you do for God, you are always in over your head. Because if you can do this without God, right? Well, I shouldn't even say it that way. You cannot do this without God. Our sufficiency is of God. If you can do this without God, it is not the work of God. Verse six, who also has made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. Now, Paul is not saying that we threw away the Bible. He also quoted the Bible extensively in his writings. He often taught thematically, quoting from a scripture here and a scripture there, 
and put them together thematically in his preaching and in his writing. But the letter alone will kill. The Spirit gives life. Legalistic people live by the letter of the law and look for, loop, look for loopholes. We teach principles of the Bible. We apply them to modern life. We teach practical standards of holiness and apostolic identity. But they're based on the scripture. But if all you have is a, is a requirement, a rule, that's dead. And you'll be dead. But it is a spirit that brings life to us, not just dead teaching, of the word of God. We don't study the Bible as a historical book. I mean, think about this. There are thousands of theologians that are schooled in the scripture, but do not understand the scripture. So how is that possible? It is possible in the same way that Paul, before he received the Holy Ghost, when he was referred to as Saul of Tarshish, did not understand. Amen. The natural mind does not comprehend spiritual things. We'll get into that in a little bit. 1 Corinthians 2.9. 1 Corinthians 2.9. But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered in the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Now, is this talking about heaven? Or life? Is it open-ended? But, you know, I've heard people stop in verse 9 to tell you that we have no idea the things that God has prepared for us. But it's amazing if you just keep reading the Bible, sometimes context gives meaning to a text. Verse 10. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Aren't you glad there are some deep things? There are shallow people who never go deep. And they get bored with God because they live in the same scriptures and the same prayers. And as the writer of Hebrews said, for the time, they've been in the church long enough to be able to digest the meat of the word of God but they still only can handle the milk because they're immature spiritually. But there are some deep things of God. The Bible said in the Psalms that the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. It's fascinating. I was studying this for article for July and the sermon I hope to preach on July 2nd. But when God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, he said, shall I hide the thing that I'm going to do from Abraham? Now, why did God feel a sense of, I'm going to call it obligation, that, you know, I, this, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go down and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, but I feel like I need to tell Abraham about this. God doesn't know, oh, anyone, anything. But Abraham is a friend of God. And so God goes to Abraham and he tells him his plans. God can do that when he wants to, right? In this passage, 1 Corinthians 2.11. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of a man which is in him? So in other words, you know what you're thinking. Other people may know not. He's using this as an example. 
Even so the things of God knoweth no man, but the Spirit of God. To think you know what God is thinking is probably delusional. I know what God is thinking from his word, right? I can know his word, but I can't pretend to know what is in the mind of God at any particular moment because I see through a glass darkly and I know in part. But God knows what's in his mind and on his mind. Verse 12, 1 Corinthians 2, 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Paul's saying God talks to us. We've been to the school of the spirit, and we've tapped into the voice of God and an understanding about what God is doing. It is not against God's word, different from God's word, but how God is working his will in the earth. Verse 13, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. Just think about that for a moment. There's a lot of things that human beings teach, maybe called man's wisdom, but there's a, there's a better wisdom, a deeper wisdom, a more accurate wisdom. And Paul says in the last phrase, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Verse 14. And this is kind of at the heart why we're talking about the school of the Spirit. The natural man, verse 14, receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. People that are not spirit-filled or, or spirit-led, spiritual things are dumb, foolish, nonsensical. They have no place in their lives. It does not matter what type of an education or experience that person may have. I'm not throwing off on them. I'm just telling you that there's another world, and you can only understand that world if the Holy Ghost teaches it to you in the school of the Spirit. Verse 14 again, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. That's why we teach fasting and prayer. We teach spending time in the presence of God. I know you are praying people. But sometimes you wait on the Lord, you listen for his voice, you open your heart to what he's saying, and you patiently wait on God. The Bible said you incline your ear to him. You know, sometimes, and this is experiential, so it's just going to be my best attempt at saying this. Sometimes I feel like God's trying to say something to me, but I don't know what it is. Like in sense, he wants to guide me, wants to speak to me. And so I've, I've learned that I have to just stop, be quiet. I can't be in a hurry. I can't move past that time in prayer. Because if it's spiritual, if it's from God, it's better and more important than what might have distracted me. And I am easily distracted. I'm sure you're not. So we study the word of God, but we realize that we can't comprehend the things of God 
if we just look at the Bible as a textbook. I mentioned to my wife the other day when I was preparing for Father's Day. And I wrote an article a month before Father's Day. I had pages and pages of ideas that I wanted to teach. But I was in my office studying and I just stopped and told the Lord, Lord, I, I don't, I'm not writing, you know, a speech. I know he knows that, right? But I wanted him to know that I know that. And I need you right now. I need you to help me. I'm leaning on you, Lord, because I know that I can't do this. Or I can just write words down. You gave me a brain. I can use creativity or resources. And I'm all for that. I'm not against that. But I need the help that comes from God because it's better. I taught on the superiority of the spiritual years ago. Carnal people think the Bible is foolish. We already read that in the scripture. So we need to be students in the school of the spirit so the Lord can quicken his word to us. How does the spirit teach? Teaches by the spirit. Amen. John 16, 33. How does the spirit teach? It teaches by guiding us. John 16, 13. Jesus is teaching on the Holy Ghost, all right? Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. We read this verse earlier. About halfway through, he will guide you into all truth. You know, the... Pentecostals do not have a corner on the Holy Ghost. And some people receive the Holy Ghost and we might look at them in a judgmental way and say, well, they're not where we are. Well, our people, talking about Pentecostals, apostolics, we received the Holy Ghost over 100 years ago. Our people have been talking in tongues for over a hundred years. We've had a while for the Spirit to guide us. So just because a person is born again doesn't mean that they're grown up in God. And so you should encourage people who have received the Holy Ghost who may not understand a lot of things that we've come to understand and I'm not saying that we've got everything perfect, but we've had decades and decades to study and experience and learn and be taught and to teach others. But the spirit, the purpose of the Holy Ghost is to guide you into all truth. And Jesus is saying that the Holy Ghost is not going to be a separate entity than me. It is God's spirit. It's the spirit of Christ that's coming in you. He's not going to have a different agenda. It's not going to tell you anything different than you've already seen in the word or heard from me. Amen. Then our text, John 14, 26, I've talked about the teacher, but he said he will remind you that the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said to you. When the word of God abides in you, it can remind you and bring things to your remembrance. 
Now, to remember is to bring up something you already know, correct? Remember Jesus told his disciples, I'm going to tell you before it comes to pass. So when it comes to pass, you'll believe. There are some things he told them that they did not understand until after he ascended and sent back the Holy Ghost. And then when they received the gift of the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God began to illuminate the Word of God, the teachings of Jesus, and it made sense then, but it didn't make sense before. As I mentioned earlier, God may remind you something that's personal or in your ministry. I know this sounds silly, but he might remind you where you left your wallet. He might help you find something even misplaced. That's really not what that verse is talking about, but it sounded good right then. Not happened every time, but there's been some times when the Lord just helped something be found that shouldn't have been found. And if God can do anything, he can do anything. Amen. Now, there's some examples of the Holy Ghost teaching. And some of these I'll take a little more time with, but uh, I plan to take at least two weeks to talk about the school of the Spirit. Uh, God spoke to people before the Holy Ghost was poured out. And, and I want to make one particular point, this part of my message, that there are things that you can know by the Holy Ghost that you cannot know any other way. But God can reveal it to you. Now, I've established that point. I've given you the principle. Now, I want to give you just a few examples. Matthew 16 is a story of Jesus and the great confession of the apostle Peter. Jesus asked him, who do, you, who do men say that I am? And then who do you say that I am? And Simon says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says to Peter, who's not yet Holy Ghost filled, Simon Bar-Jonah, flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. God revealed truth to Peter that he did not learn in a classroom. Now, we know that God spoke to the Old Testament prophets. God gave his word to Old Testament writers. God is not restricted to speaking to men and women in the New Testament who only have the Holy Ghost. But one of the purposes of the Holy Ghost is to teach you all things. So this is amazing to me that the Apostle Peter, uh, you know, he's typically the first guy to raise his hand and say something in the classroom, whether it was right or wrong. But Jesus is telling him, you did not get this because your IQ. It was not deductive reasoning, philosophical pondering. Simon Peter is listening to Jesus, and this, we're going to call it a revelation. This revelation comes to him from God. Now, God is not going to reveal anything to you about himself that he's not already revealed in his word, okay? So don't think that God's going to show you something to add another book to the Bible. And, and, by the way, if you think you know something that no one else knows in the world, you're probably wrong. If you think you're the only person that God is speaking to in the world, you're probably wrong. And if you think you know everything, I know you're wrong because you know in part. People that think they know it all really bother those of us who really do, right? 
You can remember that and use it later. And, and my uncle told me one time, you know, my uncle Mike Seal, I was a young guy trying to, trying to pray and fast and develop my early, early ministry, really early ministry. He let me preach in a church in Lakeland, Florida, and I feel so sorry for those people. But he believed in me, and they had an all-night prayer meeting in that church, and I was there, and it was just a good, it was a good time for me to be there. But, you know, God gave us senses like sight and touch, hearing, smelling, tasting. And all of the senses are specialized. They don't overlap. You cannot identify a scent by seeing it. That's the job of your nose. You cannot hear a sound by touching it. That's the role of your ears, your auditory, right? You cannot feel the texture of material by hearing it. I guess that you could scratch your hand upon it, on it like the wind, you know, blows where it went. So you could scratch it and you could tell the texture, but you have to touch it to really feel the texture. And you cannot perceive spiritual realities by human reasoning or deduction. And I've already mentioned this. Jesus has said this. Paul said this in Corinthians. They are spiritually discerned. You can think as hard as you want to think. You can read as much as you want to read. And reading and study can give insight and understanding. But in the end, God does it by the Holy Ghost. And it can only be comprehended by the Spirit. That's why we want to engage and roll in the school of the Spirit so we can understand what the Spirit is saying. Remember the two men on the road to Emmaus? They didn't understand the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They were slow of hearing, but then Jesus opened their understanding. The same thing happened in the same chapter, Luke 24, just before Jesus gave them the Great Commission, when he opened the understanding of the disciples so that they would understand the Scriptures. They had the Scriptures, knew the Scriptures, spent three years with Jesus, and still didn't know, Luke 24, 44. And he said unto them, these things, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms. Remember I mentioned that Jesus acknowledged and embraced all those three divisions of the Old Testament? Well, here's that verse. Concerning me. All of those prophecies, messianic prophecies, Jesus said were about me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And said unto them, thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you're witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of the Father upon you, to tear you in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. He opened their understanding. And it is my prayer that God would open our understanding to spiritual realities, to spiritual things. Amen. That he would allow us to see more clearly so that we can make better decisions that we could be more effective with people, that we could live more holy lives before God. Amen. There are examples and acts that I'm going to hold on. If you don't mind, please stand.
Musicians can come give us hope. Remember when the Apostle Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost. And he says, you know, these men are not drunk as you suppose, third hour of the day. This is that which is spoken of by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. He spoke in the anointing of the Holy Ghost. But then in Acts chapter 10, when the Lord wanted him to go down to Cornelius' house, the prejudice that was in him nationally toward Gentiles was working against what the Spirit was saying. Sometimes we undermine what the Spirit is saying by our preconceived ideas. Not that person. No, God, not that. That, that, that can't be God. And the Lord has given us understanding that we need to then obey and walk and act with that understanding. Amen. The school of the Spirit. I want to enroll in that Spirit. And I want to hear the voice of God speaking in my life through His Word. And if God has some deeper things to know, then I want to know those deeper things. Not so I can sit around and say, yeah, bro, I'm deep. Anybody that tells you that, you know, they're not. It's, sometimes when people try to be spiritual or pretend to be spiritual, you know, you know. Amen. The school of the Spirit. To walk in the Spirit, to be led of the Spirit, to hear and know the voice of God.